Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Community Pulse. I'm Mary Thingval at uh, Mary underscore Grace on Twitter. And I'm Jason Hand at Jason Hand on Twitter. Today we've got Nathan Harvey and Phil Legetter with us. Hello. Yeah, let's uh, hand it off to you guys. Phil, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, okay. Yeah, my name's Phil Legetter. That's at Legetter on Twitter. That's Leg Get Uh. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been working in developer relations since 2011. Uh, I kind of ended up doing developer relations community uh, because I really enjoyed learning things, creating things, sharing things, and like helping others. So that's kind of how I've got got to this this position, uh, which at the minute is not having a job, um, but that should change shortly. Uh, yeah, I've worked previously at Pusher. Um, uh, who are a real-time hosted service. I've done about three, four years there, had a, uh, a gap in the middle, took on a developer evangelist role at um, a company called Kaplan Systems, who I've worked for about four times, uh, building a JavaScript library and trying to build a community around that um, and working out what the right type of community was. So I'm really looking forward to sharing any stories that I've got and hearing from others. Right on, right on. Nathan, why don't you tell our guests a little bit about you? Sure. Hi, my name is Nathan Harvey. I'm the Vice President of Community Development at Chef. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. You just have to misspell my name. Uh, so the rule in my house was Dad picked, um, sorry, Mom picks the name and Dad misspells them. So, <clears throat> uh, so I'm Nathan Harvey. It's N-A-T-H-E-N-H-A-R-V-E-Y on Twitter, so you can follow me there. Uh, and I've been with Chef for about three and a half years, basically in various roles around community uh, development, community management, community evangelism, wh whatever name you give it, it's all about the community. Uh, and I came to Chef after being a, a, a user of Chef and sort of falling in love with the community of folks around Chef. Awesome. And I think maybe <clears throat> the spelling actually is the new correct spelling. Right. That's right. I, I, I totally agree, but there are many, many others in the world whose name sounds like mine that disagree. Well, it just makes it easier for you to get all your social media handles. That's right. That's That was the brilliance of my father. He mm. knew that one day we would all, myself and my siblings, would all need a unique way to identify ourselves. Yeah. It was globally unique, so kudos to him. Awesome. We celebrated a birthday yesterday, so happy birthday, Dad. Oh, happy birthday, Mr. Harvey. Um, cool. Well, the um, the reason why we, we wanted to have you two on this show is we uh, we decided that this show um, was going to be about how do you know when it's time to have sort of a lead management role like a VP of, of community or a director of community or some sort of kind of senior management uh, role with regards to the community efforts. Um, so we invited you two on here. We thought you guys would be excellent guests for this to kind of hammer through that and uh, share your knowledge with everybody else out there. Um, so with that, uh, maybe our first question is: is um, with regard to like the product or the service that that your company or your um, open source or whatever uh, is providing? How do you know when that? Um, I mean. You know, not just the product, but how do you know when it's time to at least start considering it and it's it's ready to to do kind of the next step? Uh, let's start with Phil. Okay, so it's a really difficult one. Um, there's the obvious thing. So a pusher, there wasn't really a need to have a head of, to be honest. It was it was more that the volume simply dictated that it wasn't possible for two. <laughs> um, Sorry, it wasn't possible for one, so you needed two. And then as the volume increases and as there's a demand by the business from the marketing perspective, but also in, in terms of engaging with community to do that more, um, then there's a need for it, you know, to hire someone else. And then eventually it gets to the point where, well, does this type of company require a structure that means there's a head of? I, I think it's a really difficult one because Sometimes there there won't be a need for a head of, other times there will, and it really depends on the company and the culture. Um, at Pusher, it was that, well, interestingly enough, that they're not going to have a head of now I've left. So um, that 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 role will ultimately fall under marketing. So it really it really does depend absolutely on on what the goals of the company are for community for for developer outreach. 
Yeah. So real quick, I want to just kind of jump in with something that you just made me think of, but because <clears throat> I think we've seen this, um, or at least I've noticed this a little bit in some of the other like Slack groups that we're in and, and Facebook groups that we're in, that there has been a, an unfortunate um, number, or it seems like a high number of people that are in the community, in community type of roles, who their department, their company, their product or whatever decided that you know, we don't really want to try this anymore. We don't want to do this anymore. And so we've seen some people sort of lose their jobs recently. Um, fortunately, most of them have had no trouble finding another one. Um, but uh, when that happens, it seems like almost every time that I've noticed, it does roll back into sort of the marketing um, department, whatever efforts we're, we're managing. What do you guys think? Is that the right place for um, these types of efforts? Or does it, again, sort of depend on the product and the service? Yeah, so from, from my perspective, I think it really depends on the product or service and sort of the type of community that you're trying to build. So Chef, um, as you might know, <clears throat> sort of has its, its roots in open source. So it really started off as an open source project before there was a company that was built around that. And so a lot of our community efforts have really been around how do we get more contributors contributing to not just Chef the project, but really chef the ecosystem. So the tooling that, that basically is open source that stands up around the chef framework and like cookbooks and knife plugins and things like this. So where do we, where and how do we find the people that are interested in helping build out that ecosystem? And so that, like, that really falls to a, a much more technical audience than what, you know, you might find in a marketing uh, uh, environment or sort of the, a marketing focused you know, if you look at marketing's job, marketing's job is all about acquisition of leads. We want to acquire leads so that we can hand them off to the sales force so that we can turn those leads into customers. And community building, uh, while certainly you're going to find and, and you need to go and acquire new members for your community, community building is really something bigger than or different than just selling, selling a product or selling a service into those people. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree that it really does depend on what you want from from your developer relations team. Um, I mean, what 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 happened at Pusher was that um, we were we were very small uh, because it was an API. It was a software as a service. It was obvious that a, a good approach. You know, you could look at Twilio, you could look at SendGrid, uh, you could look at a lot of companies with developer evangelists. They raised awareness of their product through having a developer evangelist that would give talks. Uh, go to events, you know, meet people, raise awareness. Um, because it was just me, and I'm, you know, I, I'm quite community focused. I tried to help as many people as possible. Um, I wanted contributions to the SDKs um, from the community. I, you know, if possible, contribution to anything, documentation, product feedback. Um, I mean, if, if you know, if, if, if you can post a link to the um, Define Developer Relations post that I did recently, like I did everything that you could possibly do from someone in being in developer relations. What's happening at Pusher is that they are growing. Um, they've decided that the focus should be purely evangelism, which is more of the outreach. It's um, acquisition, really. It's blog posts, talks, and that's where they are. You know, They feel that that's the best approach for them, I guess kind of aligning with, with what Twilio do. I don't know whether they do a lot of product feedback from that about the evangelist team or not. Maybe they don't need it. Maybe they have product managers who discuss things directly with customers. So right now, Pusher are focusing on the evangelism, the, the acquisition side of things. Um, and that's the example there. I mean, my next role, I, I went, this is live, isn't it? So I'm not going to say what that is yet. Um, <laughs> we'll, be, uh, we'll be more focused reporting to the CTO. We'll be developer relations with a focus on making the product better through um, working with the community to try and get feedback and try and understand what the developers want the service to do. Yeah, and and certainly, um, you, I don't want I don't want my words to be mis mistaken. Uh, going after acquisition and going after leads to bring in you know more sales into your company is absolutely like it's a completely legitimate way to help build your community, and it's a great. Obviously, you need that for the success of your custom uh, of your community as well as for the success of your company because of course the two kind of are tied hand in hand together but so like a lot of the work that the people on my team at chef are doing is how do we make it easier for folks to contribute to the open source framework how do we give 
commit access to people that don't work at Chef to our open source projects. So there's a lot of work around that as well. Definitely. And Nathan, this kind of ties back into what you were just saying a little bit, but like having your goals as a community team is is one thing. Having those goals tie back into the overall company goals is another thing. And all of those goals should be related. There's an overall company goal of, of growth and making sure that the company succeeds usually. But how do you make sure that you tie your specific goals back, back up to the overall company goals and make sure that those are, are aligned in such a way that upper management sees that and everything else too? Sure, I think it's important that um, as community managers, as advocates, as evangelists, whatever we are, uh, the first thing that we have to recognize is that we do work at a company, uh, and that company has very specific goals. We need to understand what the goals of that company are and figure out what's the best way for us to contribute to those goals. And I think that um, you know, within Chef, I've, I've long held this belief that the way that we get uh, the way that we get more people using Chef is that we expose them to Chef. And Chef, as it turns out, is a very fun uh, and productive framework to work with, not unlike Pusher, not unlike SparkPost. Like, it's a place where I want to use these tools because they make me better, they make me more efficient at my job, they make me, you know, a magician with the things that I need to do, which is important. And I think that once you've, once you've discovered these tools, you, you start to fall in love with them, right? They become such an integral part of your job that then what happens is you want to contribute back. And so in, in the chef case, and probably is the same case in many of these other communities, like the way that you contribute back might be tooling, might be blog posts, might be code that make it easier for the next person to come along and find it and get, get successful with it and fall in love with it. The other type of contributions that you might have are that you end up buying the product, like you end up paying my company a monthly fee because you want to use some of our commercial offering. In either case, it's it's a win-win for both sides of that equation, right? We're always helping each other, sort of feeding uh, that that flywheel, if you will. We get it going, and you're contributing. Um, and and so back to your question, though, it's important that what we do is we tie that back to what is. What does um, growth look like at the company? What are the, the company goals in terms of how, how do we measure success? So one of the ways that we measure success at Chef, as an example, because we are a subscription-based uh, business, and because that subscription is based on the number of nodes that you're managing with Chef, that becomes a very easy metric for us to look at. How do we make it easier for our customers and community members to deploy more nodes of Chef or manage more nodes with Chef? And anything that we can do to drive towards that and show results from that is a, a good thing for us to invest in as a company and as a community. Awesome, <clears throat> awesome, good stuff. Um, so, you know, one one of the other things that we were kind of kicking around in terms of um, kind of interesting things to bring up in this in this um, show was I feel each of us has somebody that we kind of look at as a role model when we get into these roles and we're like, oh, this person's doing a really good job at that. And, and uh, you know, I, you start to pay attention to what some of the other uh, evangelists and, and advocates are doing out there. Um, and for me, at least, like, you know, Nathan, you're a good example. Like, when I, I think the very first um, time I saw you was on that original DevOps uh, video. And I was like, oh, this is really just funny, one, and, and interesting. And then uh, I think we met at ChefConf or whatever. But... To me, I was uh, immediately able to to sort of stick you into this group of that person knows what they're doing, and I if I ever feel lost, I want to um, try to emulate what they're doing or maybe reach out to that person and say, you know, can you help me? It's a you know big reason why we had you on the show, and I've talked to you multiple times uh, outside. So for me, you know, you are like somebody I kind of look up to, and Phil, I've done a little bit of looking into you and reading into you, and, and I. I saw you have a book that I'm definitely curious about, and I want to go check out this real-time web apps book. Um, so, like for both of you, uh, we'll start with Phil. Like, who's your, who's Phil's Phil, and who's who's Nathan's Nathan? Like, who who are the people that you kind of look up to, and and why? I guess. I mean, there's obvious people in, in what we do. Uh, you know, people like Rob Spector who've who've done a lot um, at Twilio before him, John Sheehan. Um, at Twilio, I really like the approaches that they've taken to this. 
I really like, and the interesting thing is, at Pusher, we, I just hired two people that I thought a lot of, and they, they were both more junior to me in some extent, as in younger. Um, everyone's younger than me, though. Um, but <laughs> no, I really liked the way that they approached what they did. Um, neither of them were trying to sell anything. They just were naturally, genuinely interested in what they did. So a guy called Jack Franklin, who's great with JavaScript, um, you know, a, a genuine, like, nice guy, wants to share, naturally wants to do that sort of stuff. Uh, and someone else called uh, Ben Foxall, who, in the real-time scene anyway, just wanted to inspire, wanted to share and inspire. Um, so both of those people have been, in, in some ways, strange. You know, ultimately, I wanted them to work with me. Um, but just the way they approached what they did. Um, you know, obviously, as I said, Rob Spector, John Sheehan. Um, I mean, really anybody that's honest and open, and that's uh, Ken Lane has been um, since 2010 when we were, were both running for programmable web. The the open and honest way that he's, I mean, he's, he's independent, so he's fortunate enough that he, he's never pushing a product other than, you know, himself as a, a consultant. I really like the way he approaches everything being a conversation um, rather than him, although he's the API evangelist, he's not really evangelizing and he's just saying this is what I think, what do you think? I really like that approach to things. Um, and that's ultimately what I'll, I try and do as well. I never want to say that I'm the person that knows everything, but I want to share what I know and, and then make it a conversation if possible, whether that's you know after the talk or online or you know hangouts or whatever. That They've been really influential. And people like Gary Vaynerchuk, who I know is... Uh, not in developer relations, but the way that he talks about things like, you know, um, jab, 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 right hook, where it's give, 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 and then eventually you get to the point, you know, you've given, you say at some point, hey, any chance that I could ask for something back? And I take take that on quite a lot when I give talks. Um, and someone else called Ian Sanders has been uh, a big inspiration in terms of accepting that you do many things. You know, I mean, the role that we have it's not, you don't just write content, you don't just give talks, you don't just contribute to product, you do so many different things, and he talks about, um, you know, having multiple strings to your bow, um, so they've been very influential to me. Cool. Nathan, what about you? Yeah, for my part, I think that um, there are some obvious folks uh, sort of in my career and in my life uh, and in the community that are that are great mentors. I look at my boss, Adam Jacob, who you know wrote Chef when it was a blank screen. Of course, he's a good mentor for me. Uh, I look back at um, uh, you know, of course, uh, maybe not of course, but I run a podcast called the Food Fight Show, and when uh, I run that show today, but it was started by another guy in our in the Chef community, Brian Barry, and I've always looked up to him as a great mentor. In fact, I wouldn't work at Chef if it weren't for Brian. Uh, he kind of pushed me to, to take on this job. Um, <clears throat> but then I also look sort of outside of the industry, outside of community evangelists and, and, and even community developers. Uh, I look at people like Ira Glass or PRX, the Radiotopia folks that do a bunch of podcasts. I think that like for us as community evangelists and developer advocates, one of the things that we have to be really good at is telling stories. And I think you know the best way to tell a better story is to listen to a bunch of stories. And so I, I do try to incorporate a lot of that into my sort of daily or, or regular life, listen to a lot of podcasts, listen to a bunch of stories, so that hopefully I can become a better storyteller through that. I also look at you know other mentors within the organization. You know, you talk about how do we make sure that the the organization values the work that community evangelists do. We have to understand, it's, it's just like DevOps, we have to understand what the other areas of the organization do themselves and what do they care about. So talk to the folks in sales, talk to the folks in marketing, talk to the folks in finance, really understand what are their concerns, where, what are they thinking about on a day-to-day -day basis, and, and take that and internalize that and figure out you know, how do we get better at what we do. Yeah, you know, real quick, that's a, <clears throat> kind of an interesting idea that, that I just sparked a little memory in my head from a while ago, and I think one of the big reasons why this became a question for me, um, one, at Victor Ops, we're, we're trying to determine, you know, what's the future of evangelism and, and where am I taking this whole thing, um, and 
you know, I'm actually part of the product team, but I'm sort of an agent of, of the marketing department and help them out in a, in a bunch of ways, which I actually love because it lets me put on my creative hat and and and, and be that kind of role for a while. Um, but because I sort of wear a lot of hats and because I sort of rotate around, but I really only um, sort of work for one department, sometimes I do feel like I'm out of the loop or maybe I'm not keeping people in the loop as well. Um, and of course, you know, we can do email updates and stay in touch over, um, you know, group chat or whatever. But it seemed to me that the, the efforts of what uh, we're trying to do um, with the evangelism stuff there's a lot that goes on, and a lot of it has huge payouts, um, and you know sometimes, sometimes not. But it just seems like um, so much of what gets done actually does have a big impact. And if it's not making its way all the way to management and all the way up maybe into the board even, then maybe they're not they're not really seeing the full picture. Um, and so to me, it seemed like it, it had gotten to a point where the community efforts were were so important that they didn't need to be buried down deeper in the, in the corporate structure of the org chart or whatever. Um, and I think a big part of, you know, kind of what you just said there is making sure that you understand and you empathize with other areas of the, of the company, of the other areas of the organization, and, and that they feel the same for you, you know, because um, especially as evangelists, we're kind of behind the scenes in a lot of cases. We're on airplanes. We're at conferences. We're not always highly visible. Um, and so because of that, uh, especially for some people, that is troublesome or worrisome for some because they just don't they don't know if they don't see you they feel like they're that you're probably not doing anything it's kind um, of that dichotomy right you're highly visible in the community but your visibility in, within the four walls if you will of your own company maybe can suffer from that yeah yeah it's funny I, I'll come back from a long trip somewhere and people will ask me you know where I've been what I've been up to and and, and my initial my initial response is well weren't you following me on Twitter like you should know exactly what's going on <laughs> well and it is I mean it's interesting right like that's a huge way of of how we show what's going on these days um, it's a lot of how we talk to people and interact with people and let people know where we are as well as What's, what else is going on in the community? Um, and actually, I was going to head a different direction with this, but now that we're talking about it, I'd love to talk a little bit about just the KPIs and metrics side of things. Like, that is part of how we interact with the community and how we talk to people and, and have those interactions, but how do we take those things and, and make them more tangible to other people in the company and help them understand what it is that we're actually doing. Should I take this? Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, like I mean, as you say, metrics is really important. Um, the interesting thing, and I totally agree about the, the the Twitter sharing what you're doing on and social channels is absolutely what you do. You know, it's about transparency. It's about sharing what you're doing, and you kind of assume that. That others consume that, but I've worked at so many. Well, in the two companies that I've worked in developer relations, I would say that the vast majority of both of the companies I worked at, other people weren't using social networks. They, well, they weren't using Twitter, or they weren't using the social channels that that the developer relations teams were publishing their content on. Um, you know, they wouldn't read the blog posts. They um, they wouldn't be following you on Twitter. They wouldn't be following the the company profile on Twitter. They wouldn't amplify the work that was being done by the community team. Um, so by you know going back to the point in the metrics or, or demonstrating the value is that it's so important to demonstrate the value to in many companies to get that team, you know, to get um, buy-in to the developer relations and the com community roles. Um, I th and I think different companies at different stages are more on board with that. So the company that I'm joining, they've had a very small developer relations team. So I feel very much that we need to um, grow in, uh, join, grow the team, and from the from the off, um, advocate for what we're doing internally as much as we do externally. We've got to show the benefits of it, and the metrics are absolutely key to that. And I think the metrics really depend on the sort of product you've got. Um, with the software as a service, it's great because you've got, um, you know, it. If there are libraries installed from libraries, interactions with those libraries from um, with your APIs, uh, obviously usage of the platform, uh, signups, you, you've got a lot of stats that you can build on. I think it's diff more difficult for other um, other products. 
to deal with that sort of thing. So, but very much part of that is to make sure that you have those metrics, you are capturing that data, and you have at least a, a platform to show that on, whether it's whether it is an email update, whether it's a, a company meeting, whether it's a you know a weekly update. There's got to be something within that company that allows you to to put this in front of everybody, and and even with the emails to dot all or whatever the group is to everybody. Emails aren't always read, so there's got to be. You've got to make sure that the the business decision makers within the organisation put you in a position where you can say, "Hey, here's what we've done, and here's been the the ROI from it." That's really important because even if the um, you know so the CEO completely believes in this and they do read the emails, you're not going to get the buy-in from the rest of the company without them understanding the value. And the best community outreach for me is when everybody's involved. So you know, getting for instance, the company uh, at Pusher, we, we managed to get a few of the engineers giving talks, um, which was great. You know, they became part of that community as well, that, that community outreach, and because I think they saw some of the value of doing doing the developer relations activities. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. I think that you know we look at what's our role as as a community advocate, and, and many times it's we're out there trying to amplify the voices and amplify the successes that are happening within our community. But don't let the cobbler's kids have no shoes, right? You have to go back with your own peers and amplify the successes that you're driving and sort of tell those stories. When we're out on the road, we tend to be multi-channel savvy, right? You're using Twitter, you're using Foursquare, you're like talking to people. Um, don't, as, as, as you mentioned, don't expect that that one email is going to get read by everyone. Like, bang, bang your drum. You have to do some of your own evangelism within your own community. And then I think the, the, really the key thing that you touched on there was enlist the rest of the company. As it turns out, like, in, within a company, we are all community managers or we are all community advocates. And from time to time, we play a more or less visible role in that community advocacy or customer advocacy. And so find the, the, the folks internally, whether it's engineers, whether it's salespeople, whether it's support engineers, whomever it is, and try to get them some time in the spotlight. Try to get them interacting with customers in, in the ways that they're comfortable interacting with customers and, and interacting with the community. Yeah, I think that's a really important um, kind of comment there, and something that we've been focusing on a lot more is getting our engineers and, and even our sales and marketing people um, Submitting abstracts, you know, submitting CFPs to different events because uh, it's important that they not only they sort of have a, a better empathy and understanding for what the evangelism role is, but also it just sort of helps with the overall kind of company image and brand when it goes beyond just the evangelist or just the, the typical people who show up at conferences. I think it makes a huge difference. Um, so anyway, that's a really great point. Um, one other thing I kind of wanted to touch on is, you know, kind of circling back to when do you know that it, it's it's time to sort of get get your um, your evangelism and your community stuff kind of leveled up? Is um, you know, I guess we'll start with you, Nathan. But what um, let's just say skill set sort of changes as you go from uh, the early phases of developing community up into uh, you know, maybe where you are right now as VP, but you manage other people who are doing it. How does that role differ, and and what types of skills get sort of traded off or switched around in that process? Yeah, sure. I think that um, part of it, like I could, I can definitely speak to my experience, and and that's exactly what I'll do. And and of course, my experience is driven by the the company where I'm at and sort of the skill sets that are required there. So. When I came to Chef, I came to Chef as a Chef user. So I'd been using Chef to sort of manage my own infrastructure. Uh, I was a user of the tool. I came on board and I was doing some training as well as some community outreach and evangelism. And over my tenure here at Chef, we've kind of grown grown the role, grown the department. And there are, there are folks on my team who are definitely engineers and the best way for them to interact with the community for some of the folks on my team is through code, through pull requests, through, uh, you know, it's not going out to speak. But it's, it's really recognizing that that is, a, like, that's a legitimate interaction with the community. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm managing engineers now, which is different than, you know, like, 
Like we run, we run a software development lifecycle process where we have, you know, we do agile practices. We have daily standups. We have, you know, tickets that we're working through, a Kanban board, minimizing our work in progress, all of that stuff. So, like, uh, for me, uh, coming from an infrastructure and operations background, and then applying that same sort of practice, if you will, to some of the community outreach and community advocacy stuff that we're doing, it, it just it kind of fits, but it's it's different than what you might think I would work on on a regular basis, right? I put on a ridiculous costume and have eggs thrown at me uh, in one on one day, and then the next day I'm running a you know I'm running a retrospective for a team of six or seven developers around what have we done over the past two weeks, like how's our process working? Yeah, I'm not sure that that answers the question though. Well, yeah, I mean I've had the same experience in that. Um, I came from a software engineering background, um, moving into evangelism. It, I was a head, headless chicken. I didn't really, you know, it was 2011. There were a few other evangelists. I mean, in the, in the UK and, and Europe, um, specifically software as a service. And so I could look at what they were doing and, and try and do what they were doing. But I also did, you know, 100% of Push's support, built libraries, wrote the documentation. So there was all this, and there was no process involved in anything other than, right, what do I need to do now? I mean, as the team grew, um, and as we hired you know, engineers, ultimately, and had more to manage and more people to manage, then we adopted, yeah, development workflows and um, agile processes. And, and it was very much like engineering. In fact, we, I know in some cases it felt like we were a bit more organized uh, than, than some of the engineering processes, or at least it was a lot more visible to the rest of the company what was going on because you know we wanted to share what we're doing and so on. From, a, from um, the content we created through events management, everything was driven through, uh, you know, well, Jira, to be honest. Um, and we had, you know, Confluence and forms to fill in, and but it, it, it kept that visibility, it kept it on track. So we knew what we were doing. I mean, the main um, the main job change for me really was that uh, I I always loved going to hackathons. I loved writing the content um, and getting the kudos for <laughs> for the stuff that's out there and getting the signups and so on. And that changed. Um, I got less sexy work to do, unfortunately. But um, that was disappointing. But I you know I understood stood that, and in many ways I was as grateful for the success that um, the others were seeing. Uh, that I felt that I felt helping, helping, you know, mentoring and so on. Like back to your question around skills, um, I I think you know if you ask Phil, if you ask me, if you ask Mary, if you ask Jason, like I I would I would posit that none of us like we didn't study community building in college or in in any sort of formal way, right? The important thing is that that we're here uh, and we we're kind of sort of figuring things out as we go. None of us knows how to do this the, the best way possible. And you can, like, you can pick up Jono's book on community building and, and you can read that, but that, like, it's a great, it's a great read for sure, but that's not going to turn you into the best community advocate or community manager overnight. The thing that you have to do is go out and practice that trade. You have to go out and you're, you're going to figure it out. Uh, you have to go and be ready to listen. For me, the, the the true superpower of a good sort of community evangelist or a community advocate is that you bring awesome people into a room together, whether that room is a, a physical room or a virtual room, it doesn't matter. Like you gather the, the awesome people together and then you kind of stand back and don't try to guide or direct the awesome that will be created by those people. You stand back and let them do their thing. And and you will always be impressed by the results. Yeah, I know. Um, for me, well, I feel exactly the same way that you do. And one of the other things I kind of wanted to, to mention is, as I think about this role that I'm in and how it's going to evolve over time and change, there's going to be some things that I'm going to miss. Um, but at the same time, I'm also not going to miss them. Like it, an evangelist has to do a ton of travel. And in my mind, um, that's really awesome. I love that until the end of the year, and I'm tired, and I'm probably coming down with something, and I feel like I'm being pulled in a million different directions, and all I want to do is just tell everybody no and um, stay in bed for a week or something like that. So like, I, if I got to a point where 
where I didn't do as much travel, part of me would be really excited about that. But also, I, I know I'm going to miss those interactions with everybody. I'm going to miss seeing all three of you at some event in some unknown you know, city that I've never been to. Um, and I don't know. I just feel like there's going to be some things that, that change over time, and, and there will be new experiences and new challenges for sure. But um, some of the things that you have to do early on um, are actually kind of what excite me, and I worry that I won't have the opportunity, or, or the, you know, I'll have to offload those chores to somebody else. And actually, I enjoyed those things. Um, so I don't know. Does maybe we'll start with Phil? Do you have any comments on? Is there anything kind of like that, that that you used to do, but now you don't do quite as much, and, and you kind of miss uh, you miss that? Well, there was definitely the content creation. I really did miss creating content and, and then seeing where it would end up and how it would be amplified. Um, but we had, I mean, in many ways, we had better people for that. You know, like the guy Jack Franklin that I mentioned, you know, he's already got a, a name in the JavaScript community, so it made sense for him to be building this stuff, sharing his ideas. Um, I really like, I mean, one of my things is, is real-time technology, so I really like being out there talking about where I think this technology is going. Um, the interesting thing with my next role is that um, I will be head of again, and we will have a growing team, um, and I'm not quite sure, you know, how much content I'll be creating and how many talks I'll be giving and how much it will be around, um, again, because the company's focus is, is developer feedback, you know, community feedback on the product. So will there be as much of that awareness-focused activity from the whole team or from me at all? Um, but I'm still not really that sure yet. I, you know, I've got a bit of a plan in place, but nothing specific. So... I mean, the, the traditional evangelism stuff is really great, right? You're out there, you're sharing stuff, you're creating things, you're learning, you're helping others. Um, I think as as you move, um, I guess, to a more administrative role or something, that the chances to do that diminish. Yeah, I, I think that um, as community advocates, uh, one of the... One of the traits, I think, of a really good community advocate is you have a pretty high level of FOMO, uh, which is the fear of missing out. Like, and so as as you you know grow a team and as you have other people in the organization or in the community that can help you, like that FOMO, like it it's it's hard and it's it's strong. I miss I miss doing like I want to go to all of the things. Uh, unfortunately, there's only one of me, and like you said, Jason, like uh, there's there's a huge there can be a huge travel commitment, um, and and sometimes it's it, you know it's just impractical, and and oftentimes it's impossible. Uh, it's certainly, uh, as far as I know, still impossible to be at two places at once. Right? Unfortunately, so, yes. Yeah. Well, Phil figured out how to clone himself earlier, so <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Google Hangouts is the one place you can be two places at once, but really, it's just two of you in the same place, and one of you usually frozen. So, like, it's it's we're only halfway there, I think. <laughs> but we'll, we'll get there. So, I think that uh, you know, I I I I remember maybe once every six months, I'll sit down and I'll write maybe a cookbook from fresh, right? Uh, from scratch, I'll sit down and write some code. And I remember how, how fun that is. And that's not something I get to do on a daily basis. And um, But like Phil said, that there are people that are way smarter and better at that than me. And that's, it's like, it's not, it's not the place that I'm going to be the best person at that thing. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm happy to let others do that. I definitely want to go and give every talk everywhere um, but also, people don't always want to hear from me. Like, we have to have other voices that are out there telling the stories uh, and sharing sharing their perspectives. So along those lines, I know it's it's hard to give certain things up. I know it's hard to know that you're missing out on stuff that you really want to be involved in. I also know both personally and from, from colleagues of mine and friends of mine that, like, it's hard to even just keep up with the day-to-day -day stuff. So how do you make sure that you don't burn out. How do you make sure your team doesn't burn out? How do you make sure that the things that people want to do are the things that they're able to do as well as balancing out the things that they need to be doing? Um, <laughs> the mystery, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think every, everything, everything comes down to communication, doesn't it? So, 
you need to have a plan in place. You've got to have lots of communication between the team, make sure that everybody's you know, career objectives are being fulfilled, the company goals are being fulfilled, that you're doing the right things based on like your current projects. Um, it, it's, it is really hard, but everything, absolutely everything for me, comes down to communication. I mean, it's an obvious like blanket statement, but any problems that, that I've seen within organizations or with something going wrong, there's been something that's broken down in terms of communication. Someone hasn't said something, someone hasn't shared something. Um, and I think, you know, to solve all of those things, you've got to make sure that you're constantly communicating with your team, making the right decisions, planning properly. Um, that's why we, I guess certain people are put in charge of certain things because they're better at, at planning, better at thinking ahead. Some people are better at focusing. Some people are better at stepping back and, and taking a, a broader look at, at things. So I haven't answered that, but I think <laughs> it's a difficult one, right? Yeah, from my perspective, if I go back to, you know, you asked about mentors earlier, and I mentioned Brian Berry, and he's the reason that I'm at Chef. When he first asked me if I would ever consider working at Opscode, the immediate answer out of my mouth was no, because number one, I'm not smart enough. Number two, uh, the travel schedule would be ridiculous, and it wouldn't be, like, it wouldn't be good for me and my family. I couldn't, I couldn't support that. Uh, and here I am three and a half years later, and if you asked me if I wanted to work at Chef, I would probably say, no, I'm not smart enough, and the travel schedule is something that like just will not work for me and my family. It's definitely the, 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 the place where I am. I travel a whole lot more sometimes than I want to. But there's this trade-off. Um, you know, the, 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 the work that I do when I'm on the road is so energizing uh, and so helpful that that it really does, like, it, it kind of pays itself back. Like, it, it helps prevent me from, from burning out. I do think, though, back to Phil's point about communication, like, there have been uh, at least a half a dozen times where, uh, at, while at Chef, uh, within 24 hours of needing to be at a place, something in my personal life happens. And then what happens is that, that thing where I'm supposed to be on the West Coast tomorrow morning it's off the table. It's just not going to happen. And it is, it comes down to communication and making sure that, like, as a team, we understand and can support each other. And so as a manager, uh, you know, I'm always very supportive. I, I, well, I feel, and I hope that my, that people on my team feel this way, that I'm always very supportive of, you need to do the thing that's right for you first. Um, because, you know, going to that conference next week, it's important for Chef as a company having you not burn out and being able to go to the conference that happens two weeks out and the one that happens four weeks out and this other event that happens in three months, that's more important than any single conference. And I think that, you know, we put try to put the people first and really understand uh, what, what I can't have you do is burn out because that, that it, it doesn't serve any of us very well. Yeah, I think those are great points. Burnout's obviously a huge issue for sort of our little uh, slice of this industry, and um, for good reason. I mean, we we work hard, we hustle, we're we're traveling all the time. We're we're basically, in many cases, kind of just always on, working around the clock. Um, I feel like I'm if I'm not asleep, I'm working, even if it's just thinking. You know, like thinking through things I need to do or brainstorming on just my own. So it's it's hard to disconnect and um, paying attention to all that stuff I think is very important, especially from a managerial position where you've got other people that you're, you need to kind of watch out for them. Um, so anyway, um, we're getting kind of short on, on the burnout topic, if I, if I may, like, yeah, I feel like, I feel like there's, um, there are, a obviously there are a bunch of contributing factors to burnout. The two that I try to watch out for most, uh, one is just sheer exha exhaustion, right? So if I'm traveling, weeks and weeks on end and, you know, staying up and, you know, like sleeping very little, like at some point I'm just going to be, like I'm going to hit a wall and just fall over and be no good to anyone. The other the other side of it, I think also the, the biggest contributing factor from my perspective is looking at the work that you're doing. Sometimes the sheer number of hours that you're working doesn't matter if the work that you're doing is is energizing work. Like it's, you're gaining energy from doing that work. But let's be honest, like, what we're doing is work. Work is not, like, not necessarily fun all the time. So sometimes we have to just buckle down and do work that is draining work. 
And it's that draining work that really, you know, it takes away, you know, you have the deposits from the energizing work, you have the withdrawals from the draining work, and you have to make sure that those two stay in balance because uh, I think that that really, you know, doing too much draining work, draining from your, your personality, like drains my soul, uh, that is the work that really leads to burnout. Yeah, very true. Um, so we're getting a little short on time, um, and so maybe just sort of circle back around one last time uh, before we get into our checkouts, um, and I'll just ask each of those, each of you, this, the same question. Just give me a real quick response. How do you know when it's time to have upper management community? Phil, we'll start with you. To scale. It's as simple as that. I think if you need to scale. You need someone to take a step back and, um, if nothing else, coordinate things. Okay. Good. And my answer is you can list other parts of the organization to help you build community. Uh, and, but then you will reach a scale where the consultants need to be consultants, the trainers need to be trainers, the solutions architects need to go and architect some solutions, at which point it will become obvious that what we need is more capacity to do this community outreach and evangelism, and let's start growing that team. And uh, you should really like let it grow organically. Uh, if you try to preempt it, uh, that can lead to real problems. I think. I think that makes a lot of sense. Cool. So let's wrap this up. Uh, we always do a, a check it out portion at the end of the episode. So are there any tools, projects, events? blog posts, people that you like to follow, books you like to read, um, things that you think our listeners should look into with regard to building community and specifically with leadership and management tools? Um, well, I think the, the DevRelCon event that was in London and there's one in San Francisco is a, is, I'm sure this one in San Francisco will be great, I can't make it, but um, the, the London event, there was a lot a lot shared and a lot to take away from that. Definitely, I think if you know if you're interested in this, then obviously the Evangelist Collective, the um, the Slack group seems immense. The amount of people in there that's definitely definitely worth checking out. In terms of management tools for what we do, I mean, both Pusher and the company I'm joining are using Atlassian, Jira, uh, Confluence. I don't know. It feels to me it's a I don't know. It feels a little heavyweight to me. I would love that for to be lighter tools because it feels like we're quite an agile group of people um, I would feel happier if there were a, like a, a lighter tool for managing community um, activities anyway for, for a, a developer relations team so hopefully one of you knows one <laughs> or more <laughs> Yeah, I know there's a, a few different Kanban programs out there and, and Kanban light of sorts. Uh, there's Trello and, and things like that, obviously. There's also another one called Asana that we've been digging into a little bit. Um, allows you to have things on a calendar and, and list of tasks and things that are coming up and stuff like that, which maintains the Convoid-esque feel, but, but not as heavy as, as some of the Jira and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I've tried Atlassian, Trello, a bunch of Kanban things. I don't know what it is. We've we've looked for event-specific management functionality, then making sure that things are in calendars. Ultimately, you know, the, the general tools that we use anyway, the social tools, email, um, on you know, Google Calendar, whatever calendar system you've got, something that just naturally fits with that. And I haven't found anything yet. Right, right. Well, we were just talking about doing an episode on tools, so maybe that one will be up next. <laughs> yeah. Nathan, you got any secret uh, secrets that you'd like to share with us about different events and books and tools? Yeah, for sure. So um, I feel uh, required to plug some events. Um, so ChefConf is coming up in July. Uh, the CFP is currently open for that, and I'm uh, I'm very much involved in put, putting on that conference. It's happening July in Austin, Texas. Uh, but actually, before that, I'm helping organize DevOps Days DC. Uh, that's going to happen June 8th and 9th um, in Washington, D.C., as the name implies. Uh, but actually, that's a lie. It's, it's actually being held in Alexandria, Virginia, which is just outside of D.C. Um, so the CFP for both of those is open now if you'd like to come and uh, speak. But I think uh, it's kind of a hack 
as as community organizers, it's in, it's important that we participate in other communities. Go to a conference that is outside of your comfort zone or outside of the technology, or or, or maybe just outside of technology altogether. Like go go to a conference and see uh, how does that community interact. What are some things that they do there? And from a tool perspective, um, you know, Chef obviously being open source, uh, we are currently on my team looking at a tool that Netflix recently open sourced called the OSS Tracker. And what, what it will do, uh, although I haven't seen it in action just yet, uh, but it will look after, say, your GitHub repositories for an organization and give you metrics on things like how long do pull requests sit, um, what, what's sort of the velocity of issues, and things like that. So I'm really looking forward to standing that up in a prototype area, make sure that it, it's showing some good data to us, and then sharing that with the community. Awesome. Yeah, <clears throat> I had heard about that, but um, haven't, haven't yet seen anybody put it into action, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on how, that, um, how that works out for you. One of the things that I'm sort of starting to notice with all the tools is that, one, there's always new tools coming out, <clears throat> and a lot of them, you know, they've been out for a while, all of a sudden they, they pass a threshold of maturity where they become a whole lot more useful. Um, but it still seems like there's a lot of them out there that just are, are very specific in what they do, and they, they probably will always remain very specific. Um, and so what I have enjoyed doing a lot lately is actually using uh, Zapier. I'm not sure if it's Zapier or Zapier, uh, but using that service to get, the, get all of them to sort of talk to each other. And uh, basically, you know, if something happens in Twitter, it goes into a Google Doc. If it gets into a Google Doc and needs to be in Salesforce, it goes over there. Um, so just sort of getting the pipeline plugged in with um, with that tool has been has been beneficial to us. At least just if nothing else, really just documenting things that take place. Uh, maybe I'm not real great with going in and um, um, you know updating things, but uh, it, it's sort of a passive thing that's really nice to to, to see happen. So that's my advice on uh, on any check it outs is uh, check it out Zapier Zapier. Does anybody know is it which way that's pronounced? For sure. You build zaps, don't you? So I, I've gone with Zapier. Yeah, you know that's kind of that's kind of what I thought. But then it's you know right there in the middle of the name is API, and I'm thinking, well, maybe it's Zapier or something <laughs> like that. Um, maybe someone will comment on Twitter and let yeah, us know what the correct somebody, pronunciation is. Somebody who works there. There uh, you go. Let us know. Good stuff. All right. Well, um, I think we're out of time, but uh, this has been awesome having uh, both of you, Phil and Nathan, on the show. And um, thanks very much for having me. It's been great. Yeah, thanks, Mary. Thanks, Jason. Great to meet yeah. you, Nathan. Yeah, and um, I don't know. Sometime we'll we'll definitely cross paths at an event coming soon, and um, uh, we'll be sharing all the stuff that uh, we talked about here uh, on the episode. We'll be making sure that those get into some show notes and they get up on the website, and we'll be sharing all that, uh, of course, uh, through the website and on social media. Um, hopefully, pretty soon. And, uh, yeah, I guess with that, uh, Mary, you want to take us away? Sure. Thanks again for joining us today. I'm Mary Thingval, at Mary underscore Grace on Twitter. And I'm Jason Hand, at Jason Hand on Twitter. And it's been awesome having our guests, Phil and Nathan. And um, join us again next time on another episode of Community Pulse. <laughs>